If you're like me, you care about getting the most from your workouts, which means wearing the finest performance gear. You know, fabric that dries quickly and has superior moisture wicking properties. Fabric so soft and comfortable, you could, well, curl up and sleep in it. Introducing Sheeks, spelled S-H-E-E-X, the world's first performance bedding line. Sheeks began when two former elite athletes and coaches had an aha moment, combining everything we love about quality performance fabric with everything we love about comfortable, irresistible bedding. Unlike traditional sheets that trap heat, sheets are breathable, so you aren't constantly waking up to throw off covers or out a blanket. So you sleep deeper, longer, and better. And sheets bedding looks as good as it feels. Colors and styles that can match any decor at a price that will pleasantly surprise you. And right now, you can try sheets for 30 nights risk-free. Just go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code twelve twelve and get forty dollars off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com promo code twelve twelve. Sleepcoolnow.com, twelve twelve. This is our number one of the World According to Zig podcast for June twenty fifth, two thousand seventeen. My name is John Ziegler. I am the host of this show, which is one of the very few places where you can still get the truth about news, politics, media, sports, and culture from a true conservative perspective in this world turned upside down. Our website is freespeechbroadcasting.com. I hope you check it out for all of my latest columns that I write for Mediate. Uh, Today didn't start off particularly well because we had a a guest I was really looking forward to speaking with in hour number two, who is uh, Brian Stelter, who is the host of Reliable Sources on CNN. I had booked him about a month ago, and then all of a sudden, uh, a couple of hours before we were scheduled to do the interview, his, uh, I don't know, the person in charge at CNN who books these things suddenly said uh, something had come up, can we reschedule, with no real explanation and no follow-up when I said, uh, boy, that's kind of unprofessional. Uh, And so I don't know whether or not we're going to reschedule Brian Stelter or not, uh, I still would like to talk to him. There's some interesting things to discuss, and I like his show. Uh, but we'll see, because, uh, you know, once they do it to you once, what's them to stop them to do it again? And I don't want to go through that again, because uh, we got incredibly lucky. And I, I mean, I'm totally shocked that, that this happened. But we probably ended up with a better interview uh, in hour number two, which I hope you'll check out, because on a whim... I uh, contacted uh, former Congressman Joe Walsh, who's a nationally syndicated radio talk show host for the Salem Radio Network, not even realizing that he's apparently a big fan of my columns and work on radio. And he was very uh, appreciative of the invite and very willing and able to do the interview at late notice. And it's a spectacular interview. It might be the best Trump skeptical interview that you'll hear, um, uh, certainly of its type, because... Joe is in a truly unique situation as a guy who's a big Trump supporter in many ways, but also very willing to criticize uh, Trump uh, when uh, he feels that it's warranted. And it's not just, you know, a a little slap on the wrist. He'll knock him aside the head. And so uh, make sure you've listened to hour number two of the podcast because it's a, a great about 40, 45 minute interview with former congressman, Republican congressman. Uh, Joe Walsh. Also, by the way, uh, I hope you checked out last week's interview with my father since it was Father's Day. Uh, that was also very interesting. Had some nice comments 
about that. Although, you know, in listening to it, I, when I did the interview, I realized that my father was being politically correct. Uh, he was even worse than I realized as I was doing it. That was the only, I knew he would be politically correct. My dad is a very, it's the number one, there's a lot of differences between me and my dad. <laughs> the number one difference between me and my dad is he is super PC and me, not so much. <laughs> Not so much. So that's really where we differ. And that interview, I think, exposed it as much as anything possibly could. But he still told some interesting stories. And uh, if you're so inclined, check that out from last week and hour number two there. All right, let's get to this uh, week and the news. Politically, uh, you know, there was a lot of attention on the two special elections. Really, only one of the special elections on Tuesday got a lot of attention. That was the one in Georgia. And... Republicans ended up winning both, both Georgia and South Carolina. And Trump took a big victory lap and took credit for this, which is, frankly, it's just flat out ridiculous. Because here's the deal. Let's take a look at the Georgia election, which got an enormous amount of overblown. It's almost always, whenever the media is involved, it's always overblown. But this was incredibly overblown. Now, I will acknowledge that if the Democrat Ossoff had won, then that would have really been an earthquake for the Republican Congress. I will argue, however, that in the long run, meaning like next year and a half, that might have been the best thing for Republicans because then they would have realized, oh, crap, we're so screwed. We've got to change course. But that's not what happened. Instead, they won by like two and a half, three percent in a district that is overwhelmingly Republican and let's be clear who Ossoff was. He doesn't live in the district. He has no experience. He looks like pajama boy. He got engaged during the campaign in a cynical ploy <laughs> to try to show that he's an adult. And it's not like he was, you know, any tremendous candidate to begin with. And Democrats still have Nancy Pelosi hanging around their necks which is not going to play in Georgia or pretty much anywhere other than the big cities on the coast. So bottom line, Ossoff was a horrific candidate. Oh, by the way, yeah, he had a lot of money, but all that money was from California and Hollywood, which in Georgia probably meant it didn't help him at all. And then, oh, by the way, I think there's evidence and the polling evidence certainly backs this up that the, near massacre against Republicans in Congress. I mean, the, the shooting of Republicans practicing for the congressional baseball team. Remember that? I know that seems like a long time ago now because we've forgotten about it already. Happened less than two weeks ago. But uh, I do believe that that played a role here, if only subconsciously. I, there's, there's, there's a direct correlation between how Handel, who ended up winning, improved in the polls after that shooting. Now, I don't know why. Again, I, my theory would be it would be subconscious. But for whatever reason, it was enough to nudge her over the finish line. And she wins. And Democrats are all demoralized. But almost like everything in this day and age, <laughs> what we think is the truth is actually the opposite of the truth. This was not a victory for Republicans. And in fact, I think it might harm them in the long run. Same thing with South Carolina. South Carolina was at least as red a district 
with almost exactly the same result. No one even paid attention to it. And the Republican barely won there. So right now, and granted, it's a long time between now and next November, but right now in these special elections that Trump is touting, it's classic Trump. He's, he's, it's actually horrendous news, but he's pretending that it's great news. And of course, his cult is lapping it all up. If you look at the numbers, Democrats are running way ahead of where they should be. So far ahead of where they should be that there's no question that if the election were held, you know, tomorrow or whatever, that Democrats would have an excellent chance of taking back the House of Representatives. Which, bizarrely enough, since Trump seems to be facilitating that, is actually also hastening his impeachment in all likelihood. But I digress. Now, the other thing we learned from these special elections is that the Democrats really do have a messaging problem which is directly related to Nancy Pelosi. I mean, you can't have, in this day and age, a worse spokesperson than Nancy Pelosi. She is old. She has never been particularly articulate, but frankly, she babbles now. Whenever I watch her, you know, this was most dramatic when I saw the two speeches on the floor of the House after the congressional shooting. Paul Ryan you know, was magnificent. And then Nancy Pelosi spoke afterwards and it was borderline incoherent. And this is, you know, not a, you know, it's not easy to hit the right note in those kind of situations, but it's not that difficult either because everyone's going to side with you if you just say the right things. This was not, you know, controversial. And she just wasn't up to the task. She's as elitist as it gets. She's out of touch as it gets. She's from San Francisco. She's as liberal as you can get. And it's just, I, I really believe that for people who are on the fence, the idea of giving her more power as opposed to even Paul Ryan, who's not popular nationally, I don't think that people fear. I don't think there's that many people that fear Paul Ryan. Okay, but there are a lot of people on the fence who fear Nancy Pelosi. And understandably so. So Democrats are going to have to make a big decision, and I don't think they're going to have the guts to do anything with her. So, you know, there's an old saying, pick your enemies well. That might be the thing that Donald Trump does better than anything else. Donald Trump picks his enemies exceedingly well. And in Nancy Pelosi, he has a perfect one. Of course, She hasn't always been an enemy. She has in her office a rather large framed front page newspaper article on her becoming Speaker of the House given to her and signed by, you guessed it, Donald Trump. (laughs) Saying something like, you're fantastic or you're wonderful, Nancy. Donald Trump. That's what a fraud Trump is. But don't tell his cult that because they'll say mean things about you. Now, the other big political story this week was that the Republican Senate has released its proposed health care bill, which they're still claiming is a repeal of Obamacare. It is not, just like the House version was not a repeal of Obamacare. And immediately afterwards, there are five Republican senators who have said, 
I, I can't vote for this thing right now. Now, they can only afford to lose two. And then Mike Pence would break the tie and it would pass. And by the way, that would not mean that it would be law. It would then go to a conference committee, which would be a whole nother controversy. And then, I mean, that's where the real bloodbath would begin. <laughs> you put that, these two bills in a conference between Senate and House, they'll probably end up coming up with something. But then by the time they go back to the Senate and the House, they're going to go, wait a minute, this isn't what we voted for. Because as everyone but the President of the United States knew, healthcare is complicated, exceedingly complicated. And if you take out one piece or add in one piece, it impacts three or four other pieces, which is why I have been saying from day one, one, I've made two predictions. There will be no repeal of Obamacare, and that's 100% now we know. There will be no repeal of Obamacare. At best, you could say it would be revised. Uh, That was the number one prediction. Number two was I have always felt there was a very good chance that nothing would end up passing. I don't know what the percentages on that is uh, are. It's probably somewhere in the 50-50 range at this point. I realize that's not a very daring prediction, but there's a very good chance that nothing passes here because you just can't make the politics work. I've been using the metaphor of a Rubik's Cube without all the pieces. You can't solve a Rubik's Cube that doesn't have all the pieces. And that's what this feels like to me. Now, I don't think that the Senate bill is necessarily dead on arrival. You got basically four conservatives and a moderate Republican who are against it. There are several other by the, other senators, by the way, who I think eventually could be against it, but just don't want to say that right now. There's a, there's a lot of politicking. <laughs> this is no surprise. A lot of posturing and politicking going on here. Some of this might be purely for show so that, you know, like Ted Cruz is going to do whatever the hell Trump tells him because he's a puss. So, you know, so the reality is Cruz is just setting himself up so that in the end he can say, I now believe this is a good bill for America and I'm supporting it. And others should join me in this cause to do what we promised and to repeal and replace Obamacare, even though that's not what we're doing. So, It'll be very interesting to see what, if anything, passes this week. Joe Walsh and I get into a detailed conversation about this in hour number two, and specifically about the theory that Mitch McConnell, the Senate Majority Leader, might not want anything to actually pass this week, and he might just want this thing to go away. I don't know if I necessarily agree with that, but I think it's possible. So I get into more of that in greater detail in hour number two with Joe Walsh. Uh, I do want to mention, though, that Donald Trump uh, has exposed once himself, once again, has exposed himself as having not a clue about what it is that he wants to pass uh, either the House or the Senate. In uh, and I referenced this in the Walsh interview, but it's astonishing to me that the fact that Trump is now confirmed in an interview with Fox News that indeed he told members of Congress in the Oval Office apparently said it three times that the House version of the so-called Obamacare repeal is, quote, mean, 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 mean. By the way, he wants the Senate version to have more heart and more money thrown at it. Does that sound like a Republican to you? Does that sound like a, even remotely like a conservative to you? No. Those are liberal buzzwords. Mean, 
And by the way, those words have impact because I guarantee you Democrats running against Republicans in tough districts are going to use that against every member of the House who was forced by Trump to vote for that mean version. I mean, can you imagine the commercials? Even Donald Trump called the House version of the bill mean, mean, mean. Yet your congressman voted for it and celebrated with Trump in the Rose Garden. Fantasizing about poor old people dying. That's what's, that's what's going to be. Because they're mean. Thanks, Trump. Appreciate it very much. So uh, that's at least uh, worthy of mention, as I said, uh, more in hour number two with uh, Joe Walsh. Uh, with regard to Trump, to me, the most insane-making and infuriating thing that he did this week uh, dealt with, uh, indirectly, both uh, issues related to Russia. The first was on this issue of the Comey tapes and whether or not they existed. I wrote a column about this for Mediate, which you can check out. I urge you to do so at freespeechbroadcasting.com. And you may recall that Atri fired Comey and there started to become some leaks, which, by the way, are not illegal. They're not even unethical in these situations. But uh, it's, it started to become known publicly what Comey was claiming Trump said to him. Now, I'm not talking about the memos. The memos were not known as of yet, which is important. you got to understand the timeline of this whole thing. So Trump is starting to read in the papers and see on non-state-run television that Comey is saying some pretty damaging things about his conversations with Trump. So Trump tweets out that Comey better hope that there are no tapes of our conversations. Now, when you're president of the United States, see, I I know that context has been lost in this Twitter age, but when you're president of the United States and you say publicly about an FBI director you just fired, that you he better hope that there are no tapes. He's saying that there are tapes. Right? Because he would know if there are tapes. He's the president of the United States. He's not coming up with a fantasy about, gee, I wonder if someone was taping us, unbeknownst to me, because he's the president. He would know, or at the very least, he would be able to find out before he tweeted publicly, suggesting strongly that there are tapes. Now, most people didn't believe that there were tapes, and his phrasing of it was kind of a dead giveaway. Because that's the way Trump would say it if it was a lie. Because <laughs> he needs, you know, all he needs is the smallest little foothold. And his cult will say, will forgive him and say, oh, that's not a lie. That's not a lie. Yeah, yeah, it is. That's a lie under these circumstances. And it's not a trivial lie. Because you also have to understand why he did this. Trump did this to intimidate a guy who was very likely to be a key witness in a criminal investigation. That's obstruction. (laughs) 
But that's clearly what he did. And, if, and, and, and this week he effectively admitted that, although he admitted it in such a smarmy way that his cult cheered for him. Literally. But I'll get that in a second. So, so Trump puts out that tweet. Comey, according to his testimony, and it's 100% consistent with the facts as we know them, Comey thinks, oh, my gosh, if there's tapes, I have memos. I need the memos out there. Now, Trump's objective, again, it's important to point out, he didn't know there were memos. So in Trump's mind, he's thinking Comey's going on his recollection. If Comey thinks that there are tapes, he might naturally mute his testimony because he's not sure. No one can possibly be sure of what someone else told them in conversations that might have seemed important at the time but weren't as important as they appeared to be after they got fired because it was only after Trump fired him that Comey goes, oh, my gosh, this really all was about curtailing the Russian investigation. So Trump is thinking if Comey thinks there are tapes, he's not going to be sure about what to say, and he might mute it. He might give me more benefit of the doubt. It won't be as dramatic because he'll be afraid that if he says something incorrect, he can be contradicted by the tapes. But Trump doesn't know about the memos. So Comey then has his friend read to the New York Times, not leak the actual documents, read to the New York Times parts of the memos. And then he ends up testifying exactly the way that the memos indicated, according to what has been reported. Now, if you remember, Trump said after Comey's testimony that Comey lied. He didn't say where he lied. He just said he lied. This was in a White House joint pseudo-press conference with a foreign leader. He said Comey lied. He also declined to say whether or not there are any tapes and weirdly said, you're going to be disappointed with the answer when we give it to you in a couple of weeks. Now, there is zero reason, zero, for Trump at that point. He should have done it already. Should never have made the original tweet to begin with. But there is zero reason why Trump would not have answered that question honestly because he knew what the answer was. There are no tapes. And at that point, Comey had already testified. But he didn't want to look like a jackass and look like a liar. And so he punted and he bought time. That's what Trump usually does with his lies. His lies are usually about buying time giving his cult something to hang on to for that day, securing the knowledge that eventually people will quickly tire of the story and it will fade away. He's a master at this because he understands better than almost anyone how short the average attention span is because his is as short as it gets. And this is why he understands the media so well because the media has the same short attention span. So then, this week, suddenly Trump declares... Oh, by the way, there were no tapes. But don't don't you claim that this was a lie by me. No, 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 no. This was a brilliant 
tactic on my part because I was forcing Comey to tell the truth. Now, hold on a second here. <laughs> There's several problems with this. One, it's completely unethical, especially even coming from anyone, but especially the president of the United States. Because he said something that he knew not to be true publicly as president in order to try to, I would use the word intimidate, <laughs> he's trying to claim force into telling the truth, a key witness in a criminal investigation that at least tangentially involves him. But here's the biggest problem. He had said previously that Comey lied in his testimony. So how does Trump now take credit for forcing Comey to tell the truth? How does that work? It's just flat out ridiculous. How how does that work? Which is it? So according to Trump, Comey lied, but he was forced to tell the truth by me lying about tapes that don't actually exist. That's crazy. But it's actually even nuttier than it appears. Because there's a substantive problem. I mean, there's lying used to matter. And so in theory, that would have been substantive to begin with. But I realize we no longer live in that world. But here's the, the deal, if you will. And I've always said Trump is perceived as this great deal maker. He's actually a horrible deal maker. He's a horrendous deal maker. Because here's the deal that Trump made on this whole scenario. In order for the short-term gain of claiming that there might be tapes so that people would hold off on making judgments about what Comey said. So in order for that short-term gain, and in order to not have to admit that he lied about that for simple short-term gain, Trump, in exchange, has done what? He is now admitting that Comey told the truth. Well, if Comey told the truth, as he was forced to do because of the brilliance of the tactics of Donald Trump, then guess what? That's an obstruction case. Donald Trump has now acknowledged a couple of really important things. He asked for a loyalty pledge, effectively, and he told Comey that he wanted him to end the investigation with regard to Michael Flynn. Those are now, by Trump's own words, those are truthful. Well, if that's truthful, which I already believe them to be, especially since Comey didn't lie about the fact that he had told Trump three times he was under, he was not, not under criminal investigation himself. There was no need for him to tell the truth about that. I mean, no, 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 no reason for him to, to not lie if that's what he wanted to do. Trump's not claimed that he's lied about anything specific. So now that we know that Comey has told the truth in Trump's own words, we now have, in a Democratic House, we now have the fundamental elements of an obstruction of justice charge for the impeachment of Donald Trump. And we have that thanks to who? 
Donald Trump. And we have that because why? Because he didn't want to admit (laughs) that the only reason why he claimed that there were tapes of Comey was because he was lying because on that day he was in the middle of a crisis and wanted his cult to have something to hang on to. So in exchange for not having to admit that, you know what, I said something that wasn't true in the heat of the moment, I shouldn't have done it, <laughs> which aren't those, those words are not in Trump's vocabulary. So in order to avoid saying that, Trump has effectively said, Comey's testimony was true, and oh, by the way, there's a hell of an obstruction of justice case to be made against me should the Democrats take the House of Representatives. That's amazing. Even by Trump standards, that's amazing. The reality is, there is see, the Trump fans, they think he's playing chess, right? They think he's playing eight-dimensional chess. I've always believed he is playing very basic checkers. He's playing like checkers like a six-year-old would play checkers. He's, he's making it up as he goes and not. That's, that's Trump in an essence, right? He's not playing chess. But his supporters think that, they, that he is. And then he goes on Fox and Friends and says, yeah, you know, it was not a dumb move for me to do this. Yeah, it was brilliant, dude. It's going to be brilliant if uh, in uh, January of 2019, the Democrats have the House of Representatives and they now can say, well, the President of the United States acknowledged that the FBI director's testimony was accurate. That means we can charge you with obstruction of justice and impeach you. Secondly, with regard to the Russian issue, uh, Trump got very upset (laughs) yesterday in one of the more, it's hard to say which tweets are the most bizarre, but this one really hit a nerve with me. He was upset that President Obama did not react publicly to the Russian hacking during the election. Now, this is classic Trump, too. Because what he does is he, he shifts the story. This is a Washington Post story. It's, it's hilarious right off the front that he is accepting anonymous sources to the Washington Post, which we're told by the Trump people are fake news, right? You're not supposed to believe anonymous sources to the Washington Post unless, in this particular case, you can figure out a way to manipulate it to your self-interest for that day, which I guess is what Trump did. So, But this is what Trump does. It was just so, in, in a weird way, I admire it, but it's also aggravating as hell because I actually care about the truth and very strange concepts like that that are antiquated and dinosaur-like. But here's what he did. He takes the story in the Post, which was about how Obama knew about all this and didn't decide to speak publicly about it and how Democrats actually feel like, to use a word that Trump quoted, I believe yesterday in a tweet, that they choked, that they didn't know what to do publicly. So Trump takes that part and he, make, he twists it and he makes it sound like Obama decided not to do anything at all about Russian hacking during the election. That's not true. Now, was he able to stop it? No. But he didn't just pretend it didn't happen. In fact, he went to Putin himself and told him to his face, knock it off. 
Now, is that good enough? No. But for Obama, that's, you know, that's about as ballsy as it gets for Obama. The point here is it's not the story is not that Obama said, boy, the Russians (laughs) have hacked into uh, um, the DNC emails and they're trying to influence this election for Trump. I'm not going to do anything about this, though. No, the decision was we can't talk about it publicly. Now, why did they decide not to talk about it publicly? Well, at the time, that actually made some sense. Why? Because one, Hillary was winning. Nobody believed Trump could beat her. If he raises this issue, which is a bombshell, and Hillary ends up winning, Trump's been talking about the election is rigged against him for months ad nauseum, constantly. It's going to bring into question the entire election. It's not going to be good for the electoral process. And in his mind, it wasn't necessary because Hillary was going to win. Had he done so, and people are terrible. I found one of the things human beings are horrible at is thinking about how things would be different under slightly different circumstances. So if Obama had come out publicly and said, um, we have intelligence information, it's unprecedented, Uh, Russia is responsible for the DNC hackings, we believe that they are actively trying on the orders of Vladimir Putin to elect Donald Trump, people would have gone batshit crazy. And no one would have gone batshit crazy more than Donald Trump. It would have been fake news, election rigging. This is outrageous. Obama is is flying. This is not true. The intelligence agencies, deep state, it's out to get us. It would have been horrific. Horrific. Now, what impact it would have had on the election? Well, it couldn't have done any worse for Hillary since she ended up losing. I don't know whether or not it would have had any impact at all. I would have liked to think that to think that it might have, but who knows? We're living in very strange, a very strange age. So I can understand why Obama decided to sit on this. And frankly, part of why he decided to sit on this was because, and I know this is this is sacrilegious for a conservative to say, I didn't think he. I think he didn't think it was good for the country. I, I think he. Now, granted, his first concern, I'm sure, was. Is it going to be good for a Hillary presidency? But I do think that the part of his equation here was this is not good for the country if this becomes a major part of our election. And there's no doubt that's all anyone would have been talking about for the last couple of months of the campaign. And so now, in classic Trump style, Trump, a guy who has not acknowledged up until like literally this week that the Russian hacking even happened. He claimed it was a 300-pound guy in the basement, remember? He said it might have been China. It might have been some other, somebody else. He he hasn't even acknowledged it's happened, has shown no interest at all in finding out who did it or punishing Russia for doing it, hasn't condemned Russia for doing it, had Russian spies into the Oval Office the day after he fired James Comey. So there's there's zero indication... He's even accepted this is true even after he's become president and can see all of the classified information 
So for him, of all people, to rip Obama for not talking about this publicly and, again, lying about what the story in the Washington Post actually says, that's one. Number two, hypocritically accepting anonymous sources in the Washington Post, which he never does, especially with regard to the Russian investigation. That's number two. But number three, this is kind of like the orphan, or this is like a kid who, who kills his two parents, collects a huge inheritance, and then claims a, that he's an orphan. That's what Trump is here. Because the reality is he's the reason why Tr- Obama didn't say anything. If Trump hadn't been such a douchebag and hadn't been so willing to lie about everything, if Rom- for instance, if Romney had been the opponent, I guarantee you, I shouldn't guarantee, but I feel confident that Obama probably would have gone public with this immediately because he would have felt like Romney will handle this in a way that is rational and respectful and in, not in a way that's dangerous to our election process. He didn't have any faith like that with Trump. So Trump's the reason why Obama didn't go public. Trump benefits from this because he ends up winning the election with Russia's help. Who knows to what degree that he had knowledge of that or colluded in that. I don't know. I honestly do not know. I don't think it's been proven either way yet. And then he bitches about it. I mean, that's, that is classic Trump right there. It's just flat out ridiculous. But that's who we have as president. His ability to manipulate his cult is amazing. I'm in awe of it. The sheer audacity. He has no shame at all. It's, it's really remarkable. In one way, I have this weird respect for it. In the other way, it makes me angry. Because I think if this guy has this amazing an ability to manipulate his cult, know what he can get away with, know when to lie, know how to lie, know know, know how to shift a story that should make him look horrible and be able to lie about it so that his 35 to 40% of the public cheers him. Why can't he use these amazing powers for something that's actually good for somebody other than himself? That's what I want to know. If he was one one hundredth as good at actually getting good stuff done as president as he is manipulating his cult, I, you know what? I'd be fine with the whole thing. I mean, it wouldn't be happy about it because there would still be costs with regard to ethics and principles and whatever. But I would still go, you know what? I'll take that deal. Give me that deal. I, that's fine. My, because if he could use these powers to get good tax reform through, I mean, of course, you know, that probably wouldn't benefit him because he doesn't pay any taxes. But, but just to do something that's good for the country or at least fulfills his campaign promises, that would be worthy of applause. Yet he only does it for himself. And it's always to get himself out of trouble. And, and that, to me, is really the essence of my biggest problem with Trump. All about him. Everyone else gets left holding the bag. And we made a bad deal. Because what we're going to get in return is very little in comparison to what we're going to pay in the long run. I say that every week. It's more true every week. 
All right, several other quick stories I want to reference in hour number one of the uh, podcast. The Alex Jones, Megyn Kelly interview, which happened last Sunday night, so it's difficult for me to talk about it since it's old, 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 ancient, smelly news in this uh, very short attention span world in which we now live. It aired on NBC. I wrote a column about the aftermath of that interview, which you can find at freespeechbroadcasting.com. And the essence of it is this. Alex Jones is an asshole and a fraud and a conspiracy nut and a friend of Donald Trump. And I'm not a huge fan of Megyn Kelly, but she did a good job exposing all of that, specifically the connection between Alex Jones and Donald Trump. And that is worthy television. But here's the problem. Jones got destroyed, but he ends up winning in his world out of this. Kelly did a good job, but she ends up losing in her world. And to me, the most important part of the Jones-Kelly interview is that it exposed how broken all the incentives are in the modern news media. Because Jones, look at what Jones gets here. Jones gets way more stature and credibility than he ever had with his own audience. He gets to tell them how dangerous the mainstream thinks he is because of all the controversy that even putting him on the air created. He gets to claim that they edited the interview uh, in a way that was unfair. He claimed that he had taped the full thing. And to my knowledge, he hasn't ever aired that. He said he was going to air it. But the fact that he has, it makes me very suspicious. I don't go to InfoWars, so maybe he has. But I have not seen any evidence that he actually released the full interview, which was a smart thing for him to do if he did record it. I, I've done it. I, last interview I did with Matt Lauer with Dottie Sandusky, I, I taped the whole thing, videotaped the whole thing, because I knew they were going to take something out of context. Uh, but, I, you know, it was, a safe, it was basically a safety mechanism. But he did not, to my knowledge, release it, which makes me wonder, did he really record it? Or maybe it didn't really show there was that nefarious editing that went on. But the bottom line is he gets his cult jazzed up, his stature increased, his celebrity increased, and he doesn't care at all about the couple of million people, and that's all it was, who were probably not going to be fans of his anyway, who maybe never even heard of him, who now realize he's a nut job. He doesn't care about them. They were never going to go to InfoWars to begin with. They were never going to consume his content or his products. So he's he wins. There's no loss there for him. Meanwhile, Megyn Kelly, she did a pretty good job, although I'm convinced that the product that got aired was better than the original, and there were reports that backed this up, because of the controversy that the interview created. Because it sure seems to me as if the original deal here was pretty friendly. I mean, what Megyn Kelly was thinking taking selfies in a car with sunglasses. I mean, and her, him leaning over her shoulder. I mean, I've seen less friendly selfies from third dates. I mean, that's how cozy Jones and Kelly were. Uh, and to have that photo released, I think, really impacted 
people's perception of this, that it was going to be you know one of these classic softball interviews. It was not that. And it was very, I thought, fairly and, and um, I thought thoughtfully done. Because, again, the most significant part of this is Jones is not that important, but his connection to Trump is. That's the important part, that our president, our president is friends with, connected to, and gets his news from a complete insane person who has had to admit in his own divorce proceeding that he's a performance artist. And that was my only criticism of what Kelly did. She didn't even mention that. How do you not mention that you were just recently forced to admit that you're a performance artist? I, I, my guess is that it just didn't fit with the narrative that she wanted to create. I think she wanted to make people think that he's 100% for real when he's not, which, by the way, makes him have more in common with his buddy Trump because Trump's a performance artist too and a conspiracy nut. So it's not a real mystery as to why they're buddy-buddy. But Kelly didn't win here at all. The show lost a sponsor. She got knocked off an event that she was going to be hosting because uh, uh, Jones is a someone who believes that the uh, Sandy Hook shootings never happened and the Sandy Hook parents understandably got upset. The ratings for the show were terrible. She's now had done three shows, and they've gotten worse each time. So the, the network is looking at this like, you just gave us a big headache, a week-long controversy. We got no ratings in response. It tied reruns of Funniest Home Videos on ABC. And so this show is not going to last. But it's not going to last long if, if for no other reason. It's on NBC on Sunday nights, which runs into – Sunday night football, at least on the West Coast. So it was never going to last very long anyway. In fact, even on the East Coast, it runs into Sunday night football because they got that pregame show. So there, there was no way it was ever going to last on Sunday nights long-term anyway. But now the show has the stench of death around it. And it's really not that fair because Kelly, Megan Kelly did a good piece of journalism that was important, told the truth about an important issue. But she ends up losing. Jones, who gets exposed as the complete nut job that he is, he ends up winning. That's the upside-down world we live in, folks. That's why the news media is broken. And again, check out my column about this at freespeechbroadcasting.com. Another story where the media played a role that I don't think has gotten nearly enough attention is the incredibly tragic story of Otter Warm Beer from North Korea where he, he was the uh, American student from Ohio who decided to go to North Korea. He got charged with taking down a sign, and uh, he got uh, convicted in a sham trial, uh, got uh, 15 years of hard labor, and then recently his body got returned to the United States in a coma. He was basically dead for a year, brain dead for a year, and then he died soon after making the trip. Tragic in every way. Just a horrendous story. And, you know, I think it, for a lot of people, including myself, really galvanized the anger towards North Korea. And hopefully, you know, this is one of those situations where Trump's natural inclination for revenge works in a positive direction. 
I mean, we haven't seen anything yet, but hopefully they're working on something because there's got to be, there has to be some retribution for this. But here's the part that no one's talking about. And that's always what I try to focus on. What can I say that no one else is saying? Part, this is not the whole equation, but part of why Otto Warmbier got treated the way that he did is because of the American media's reaction to his original arrest and conviction. When you go back and you look, especially now with the knowledge of what ended up happening to him, being tortured and killed and left in a coma for a year, and then his body brought back here and effectively dead, it is absolutely embarrassing, beyond embarrassing, to see some of the original news media coverage. Because the media narrative was, wild American white male frat boy stupidly goes to North Korea and arrogantly tries to get away with some stuff and gets what he deserves. That's that, that, that wasn't universal, but that was out there. And especially among the liberal media. And because of that, that has an impact. Because North Korea, they're not stupid. They know what's going on here. They know what the level of pressure is. Also, the Obama administration knew what the level of pressure was. Had this been a little black girl, my God, this would have been 24-7. We would never have been able to rest as a nation until, you know, she was brought home. But because, one, that initial narrative was, really, he kind of deserved this. After all, he's a white male frat boy. Uh that was the inclination. And two, because the, the attention span of the media is so damn short. Oh, what? He's still there? Yeah, uh, whatever. Yeah, what's Trump doing? I mean, that, that was because, you know, this got swallowed up by the whole Trump campaign. It's not a ratings winner. So the media didn't do their damn job. And North Korea felt no pressure. The Obama administration felt very little pressure. And when And he got forgotten. And that helps contribute, in my view, to why he ends up being brought home dead for all intents and purposes. Just a horrendous story. Uh, another horrendous story I wrote a column about, and I got a lot of crap for this one. I, I spoke about it last week, but this is the situation in Minnesota where a, a black man by the name of Philandro Castile was shot and killed by an officer in Yanez. And uh, and Yanez got uh, Yanez, I guess that's how you say it. Is he gets acquitted, and then this week the tape got released, the dash cam tape got released of the actual shooting. And I had written about this when it happened. I went on television and kind of debated my boss at Mediate, Dan Abrams, about this. You can find that at freespeechbroadcasting.com, or if you Google it, I'm sure you can find it. And you know, I, I created some controversy at the time because it felt like a rush to judgment to me. I mean, the whole narrative is, oh, black guy gets shot by a cop, it seems bad, so it must be bad. Well, hold on a second. First of all, this officer is Hispanic. He's not even white. He's got a great record. There's no evidence of racism. So let's take race out of the equation. But this is a classic case where people are thinking about it way too emotionally. They're thinking about emotionally because 
Castile is black. They're thinking about emotionally because Castile's girlfriend broadcast this whole thing, the aftermath, seconds. I mean, I'm talking seconds later on Facebook Live. They're, they think about emotionally because there's this heartbreaking video of a little girl, the, the girlfriend's daughter, four years old, in the car with her saying, you know, mommy, don't get shot or shooted. I mean, it's all, I understand why this case tugs at the heartstrings. My heartstrings don't work. So that's partially why I see these kinds of cases differently. I look at this rationally and fact-based. Now, do I know whether or not this shooting was, quote-unquote, good or, uh, you know, did he do the right thing? No, but neither do you. No one does. You know why? Because you have no idea what happened in that car. The dash cam video does not show that. And what's been so astonishing to me, and I get it when liberals act this way, but why I decided to write a column about it this week was because conservatives were universally ripping the police officer, saying that the acquittal was inappropriate, even though, by the way, the initial vote was 10-2 to acquit with both black jurors voting to acquit. So, I mean, and then they, they acquitted in fairly short order after that. So this was not, at least to the jury, a highly controversial verdict. The law seems pretty darn clear. If he fears for his life, the officer, then he has the right to shoot. Now, again, he fired seven shots. I, I don't understand how that works. I'm not a police officer. It does seem excessive. But we don't know what he saw. He said he saw the gun. We know there was a gun there. Now, Castile said to him, I got a gun. And it's weird to me that people automatically presume that that means he could not have possibly been doing anything nefarious with the gun. Really? Because to me, if you are, let's say, a robbery suspect, which that's what the officer thought he was, and he might have been despite what reports have told you, or if you're even just concerned with the fact that you have marijuana in the car, which he had and had in his system, and you panic, and you decide to ambush a police officer, it might not be the worst plan in the world to say, hey, don't worry about it. I'm just taking this gun out uh, for no reason. You know, I, I just don't need to tell you I got a gun here, but don't worry, because I'm not going to shoot you. Oh, by the way, you know, I mean, that's not outside of the realm of, of rationality or certainly possibility. Yet no one wants to consider that. To me, the biggest red flag in the case is the girlfriend. The girlfriend, within seconds of this shooting, I'm talking seconds, immediately starts broadcasting live on Facebook. Now, under those circumstances, I'm telling you, if I wanted to broadcast what I'm doing right now on Facebook via my phone, it would take me a while to make sure I knew what the hell I was doing. I'm, I'm not, I've only done it like once or twice, but if... I'm not under any real pressure right now. If I just saw my boyfriend get shot seven times by a police officer and I'm freaking out, out that much, I, that is amazing to me. I'm not sure what it means, but that is amazing that that was her decision-making. When you see her demeanor, that's when I start to think, what the hell is going on here? Because she has no anger towards the cop at all. At all. Now, maybe she's high and that's helping. I don't know if she was or not. 
But the reality is, when I look at that, I'm thinking, I think to the part, and I realize I'm a white male, and so therefore I can't understand the struggle. Right, whatever. But I think to the times when I have been pulled over and ticketed for minor traffic violations for things I didn't really do, I am furious. I am, and I let the cops have it. I do not hold back at all. Is this why you became a cop? Go back to the donut shop. You know, that, you know, that kind of stuff. Good work, guy. I hope you sleep well tonight. There's some bad guys like a mile and a half from us laughing at you. I mean, that's the type of stuff that I do, and I'm pissed. Now, if my girlfriend just got shot in a situation that I knew was completely unjust and completely unprovoked, I would go bananas. But this girlfriend does not. Maybe it's because, you know, black women are very well known for being reserved in these kind of situations. <laughs> it's, their black women are very well known for not losing their shit in this kind of a circumstance. So that made no sense. And then you add in, she changed her story. This is something the media doesn't want you to know. In fact, I've searched it on Google. You can't find any mainstream. This is a classic tactic of the mainstream news media. If there's something that doesn't fit with their narrative, they just ignore it. And then you can't find a quote unquote credible news source to back it up because no one ever reported it. It's factual. You just look, just look at her statements about what happened. They change dramatically, specifically about whether or not the cop knew there was a gun. Now I get under pressure situations, sometimes Memories are weird and you don't get all the details right. But when people change their stories, there's a reason generally why they change the story. The officer's story never changed. All right. That ought to mean something. I guess what baffled me most about conservatives, one, they completely ignore any other scenario within that car, even though they can't see what's happening in the car. Two, In basically a he said, she said, they're taking the word of this girlfriend with the very weird behavior. And oh, by the way, she also has a criminal record. And oh, by the way, she's now suing. So she has a financial incentive. They're taking her word and the word of of the guy who also had a very long uh, arrest record and the guy who was shot. They're taking their word over this cop with a, perfectly good record what again i don't know for sure what happened it might have been a panic situation it might have been a bad shooting my guess is this was a misunderstanding a tragic misunderstanding that came about because of a confluence of perfect storm events the fact that the cop thought he was the robbery suspect the fact that the cop might have even known castile previously which could have played a major role in this and why he had very heightened sensitivity. The fact that I think it's possible that Castile really was the robbery suspect and he might have been way more nervous than normal for being pulled over for a broken taillight. The fact that he even had the gun on him. The fact that he was high. I mean, all these things converge into a tragedy. Sometimes tragedies happen in life. But the other element of this that I find interesting is the um, reaction that my column got. 
because I knew when I wrote this, I was going to get a lot of shit. I was not disappointed. In fact, shit was the operative word. I don't actually get that many email in response to my columns, but this one I did. And as I was uh, figuring out how I was going to share this with you today, I realized all I have to do is go into my phone and search the word shit. And all the emails that I, it's weird. I don't know what it is about that word, but all, you know, all the several of the key emails I got in response to this column pop up. Let me share you, uh, with you a few of them. You are truly an ignorant, empowered, overprivileged piece of shit. You should consider quitting your career and stop sharing your shitty opinions. There is no PC or PIC. There are only reasonable people and unreasonable people. History documents your stupidity. Okay, so that was one. Then, uh, under the headline, your pathetic piece. You are a fucking piece of shit. I've never read a larger pile of shit than that piece. (laughs) He was murdered, plain and simple. (laughs) Okay. And then, uh, let's see, one more. I think you'll get the idea. Um, After reading your article on the latest in a long line of shooting of black men, all I can say is you are are truly a fucking racist idiot. I hope you have to go through something like that so you can feel the pain and unfairness so many people of color go through. You are truly a piece of, wait for it, shit. (laughs) I don't know what it was about that particular piece, but apparently it was a piece of shit, at least according to my critics. All right, as I have already referenced, make sure you... Listen to hour number two of this podcast because it is a fantastic interview with the former GOP congressman and current conservative radio talk show host Joe Walsh uh, that I think you're going to find fascinating on a number of levels. So make sure you listen to that. And as always is the case, I ask only two things of you. If you like this podcast, make sure you share it via social media, Facebook, Twitter, what have you. If you tag me, I will retweet or share or just do so via word of mouth, because if you think this is important, and I do, that's why I do it for free. It's the only real way people are ever going to hear what goes on here, so I appreciate you doing that. Number two, it's really in your self-interest. If you happen to be one of those people who sleeps, and when you sleep, you use sheets, that you pay attention to this important message. My name's John Ziegler. Our website is freespeechbroadcasting.com. Coffee? Oh, thanks. How did you sleep? Ugh, like a baby. I don't want to get out of bed, ever. These sheets are mm, incredibly soft. What did you say they're called again? Performance bedding by Sheiks. <laughs> performance bedding? <laughs> yeah, they're made from super high-tech performance fabric. They're incredibly breathable, so you're not waking up at night throwing covers off and then an hour later throwing them back on. Huh, no wonder I slept so good. Since I started using Sheiks, I sleep like a baby. No more sweaty nights for me. No? Well. <laughs> well, I like them because they're soft. They feel like mm, silk. Performance fabric, huh? Maybe we should... Oh, I don't know. Try them out again. (laughs) (laughs) Comfort and performance for better sleep. That's Sheiks. S-H-E-E-X. Sheiks. Try Sheiks for 30 nights risk-free. Go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com, promo code 1212. Sleepcoolnow.com, 1212.